everybody, everyone believes it couldn't happen to them they, or their child. Everyone believes um, it's not going on in their community. Unfortunately, um, it is going on in every community right under our noses. I'm Doug Deloney. On this edition of The Next Stop, we all play a role in ending one of the worst abuses that exists, human trafficking. The Next Stop. The Next Stop. The Next Stop. Metro's podcast. Uh, today we welcome Carrie Taylor, Executive Director of Unbound Now Houston. Welcome, Carrie. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. Carrie joins us for a very timely discussion about human trafficking because every January is National Human Trafficking Prevention Month. Uh, so tell us a little bit about your organization. I know you all have a very important mission, um, although maybe some people have not heard of you before. Okay, well, we envision a community free from human, human trafficking, and that's a pretty lofty goal, right? But because we want to be a proactive force and not just a reactionary one, we always have three primary lanes of service in mind. Um, prevention and awareness, first of all, professional training, and then survivor advocacy. So when you talk about awareness, um, we participate in many discussions like this one so that people are aware, not just of the Hollywood version of human trafficking, but of how it manifests right here in our own city or town or our community, perhaps your neighborhood, right? Um, for prevention, we get in front of as many students as possible, letting them know how traffickers operate, what it might look like if a recruiter approached them and what the grooming process is like. Um, most importantly, we empower them to recognize the signs in each other, uh, perhaps of a friend who may be being groomed. The truth is traffickers are so good at the methods they use that the target of their recruitment can almost never recognize it. Um, but from a bit further of a distance, like their friends, their family, their teachers, um, they can see the potential danger and intervene before the trafficking actually gets started, um, or at least early in the game of it. And then we also reach out to as many professionals as possible who routinely interact and intersect with those vulnerable populations like um, pediatricians, dentists, pharmacists, mental health professionals, of course, educators, school nurses, their counselors, and most importantly, law enforcement. Um, to date, we've trained over 60,000 professionals to identify and refer victims wow. of trafficking. Um, but finally, the most beautiful, terrible part of our work, I often say, is the survivor advocacy piece. We've walked with more than 2,000 victims of trafficking on their journey to restoration. Um, and usually that starts with a crisis response and those first critical hours after they've been identified and brought to safety um, on through the stages of change and stabilization. So you're coming at this from every angle uh, necessary, not just from the victim standpoint, but from those who may know a victim and not even realize it. It's probably a lot more common than most people assume. And as you touched on, uh, it's not the movie version that most of us are used to seeing. I'm sure many people, um, and I just got to say real quick as well, I got to throw this out there as we dive into this conversation. This is a very surface level discussion on our podcast here at Houston Metro right. about right. human trafficking. There's so much more to it that we could go on for hours. In your definition, what is 
human trafficking. There's a long federal statute and a very comprehensive statute at the state level in Texas. But just to put it in layperson's terms, um, I would say it's the sale of another person's body or their labor in exchange for something of value. And that's a really important part because that something of value usually is money, but it doesn't have to be. It could be in exchange for rent or in exchange for drugs. Um, we know that young people usually, uh, most of the time, their first commercial sex act is in exchange for just a safe place to sleep. So um, that broadens the definition for most people. Um, it does have to be proven that a victim fell into the life of trafficking through either force, fraud, or coercion, right? And um, force, I don't think I have to describe. We've all seen enough movies and we know what that could look like. But more commonly, it's fraud, the false promise of a job or the false promise of a love relationship that doesn't really exist, or the false promise that, hey, I'm going to help you um, in your career. I'm going to connect you to the right people. I'm, I know people who can help you become famous, right? And um, when none of that really exists. Now, um, a really important caveat there is that if that person, the person being groomed is a minor, force, fraud, and coercion do not matter at all. Simply the fact that a minor is engaged in the commercial sex industry makes it human trafficking no matter what. So um, that's a really important thing to think about. And I know, again, most people um, don't really consider that part of it. Sex, you know, human trafficking, I think a lot of people know that's the one they probably, would you agree, most people, that's where their mind goes and they think human yeah, trafficking I, and they don't necessarily think or even know about the forced labor aspect or the, the other one, domestic servitude. I mean, what are, what are all the... All the well, things? if you're just talking about sex trafficking, which most people, that's the term we use, um, you know, just in general terms, it is forced sex work, but it could also be forced participation in pornography or forced dancing at a strip club. And most um, survivors say that their experience was the combination of all of that. Um, but thinking about it for a minor, just take simply the fact that a minor is dancing at a strip club or simply the fact that a minor is pictured in pornography actually does make that human trafficking. Um, when you talk about forced labor, you're, we're talking about a person being forced to work for little or no pay, um, not being free to come and go, um, possibly owing their employer a debt, which their um, their salary could never pay off and not being in charge of their own money, right? Like the, the employer actually manages all that for them. And most importantly, and significantly easy to see is that they, they aren't holding their own documents, like their own passport or their own birth certificate, or even their driver's license. So they really have no choice to leave and they don't have um, the, the ability to transport themselves to and from Work. Um, so if you see somebody delivered to a work site in a van and all of them pile out, that's that's a big uh, red flag there. Um, mm -hmm. When you think about domestic servitude, it's very similar. Um, this 
it's usually like an au pair or a maid or a gardener who's not being paid and is not free to come and go from the home. And again, they're not holding their own documentation. So they, they really have no choice to leave. Not just in the cities. This is happening in suburbs and smaller towns as well. Oh, yes. This is not just an urban big city crime. It happens in suburbs and rural areas, too. And all of these communities really intersect um, to to facilitate what traffickers do with this crime. This also means that human trafficking victims can be of any age, any uh, race or ethnicity, any gender identity. It really does not matter. It it can and does happen to all, correct? That's true. I mean, uh, sadly to say, the youngest victim we've ever served was four years old. The oldest was has been 46, to my knowledge. Um, It can and does happen to everyone, but I do need to say that women of color are disproportionately represented in the pool of victims and survivors. Um, Traditionally vulnerable children, you know, those who are already in the system in one, one way or another, whether that's through foster care or they've had some kind of CPS intervention, um, whether they've been in juvenile detention or on probation, they, they really are, they remain the most vulnerable, but seriously, any young single unemployed student who's online is vulnerable, um, like I said before, young people are primary recruited and groomed and, you know, all of the experience, the trafficking happens online and it's mostly done through really common apps that we all use. What happens in that digital world can carry over into the physical world and they become victims of a much larger system, unfortunately. And one of the reasons this is such a big topic here at Metro uh, in January and year round is that the fe- is the crime continues to grow nationwide. Mm-hmm. And the Federal Transit Administration says traffickers exploit multiple modes of transportation to move their victims around. And this includes public transit, public transportation. So human trafficking is a modern form of slavery. And I understand that victims of human trafficking may be afraid to come forward. From your experience, why is that? Well, they typically do have a great fear of coming forward with good reason. Um because they're afraid of retribution from their traffickers. They've been threatened with unspeakable violence and lots of different control techniques. Um, but more than that, they're they're bonded to that trafficker usually through um, all the trauma and manipulation and kind of strategic control um, that the traffickers as you have used in creating that bond. And this leads me to what I hope is one of the big takeaways for people in this episode of The Next Stop, the fact that victims of human trafficking cannot come forward or they are afraid to come forward makes it so important that we and the general public are aware of what to look for. This is why your group, Unbound Now, trains professionals and the public and, in fact, you work with us here at Metro speaking to our employees, my colleagues, providing presentations on what to look for, how to spot those victims of human trafficking and how to help them. Usually they don't have possession of their money, so they're not carrying a lot of cash. They might have enough for a bus fare. They might have a fare card. Uh, We know that traffickers really do like to use that uh, public transit because um, it's harder to track those kind of um, purchases and it can really provide a lot more anonymity for them um, and less direct interaction with, you know, um, someone who would have a receipt for tracking their movement. Back to what you might see, you you might see signs of physical abuse. Um, you might see signs of emotion. I really think you'd see signs of emotional abuse more than even physical. 
Um, they're really reluctant to talk to anyone or engage in a direct conversation with someone. Um, may not uh, they may avoid eye contact and give really vague answers to questions about where they're going or why they're alone or you know that kind of thing. Um, they could be wearing makeup, which is really sophisticated beyond their age, or clothing um, that that's you know less what you would expect someone their age to wear. Um, or clothing that's just super expensive. Um, they might have salon treatments with their hair and nail treatments, and and that's just not typical for someone that young. Um, even on, on the transit, young children or teens or even a group of them could be accompanied by an older male figure or supervised by a male or a female, actually assigned to watch their movements and then um, get drip, dropped off near hotels or, or different things like that. Um, they could display, most of them do, some kind of a tattoo or a branding. And I'm not talking about, you know, something they chose themselves, like scripture on their ankle or something nice like that. It's usually uh, another person's name. It's something that looks like it denotes ownership. Um and so with a minor, you know, have to, you have to get your parents' permission for a tattoo. So it's at least worth a conversation. Like so you could just say something like, that's a really interesting tattoo. Tell me how you chose that, you know, and, and see if that brings up vague answers or maybe strikes fear in their eyes. Um, those are just some more indicators you're looking for. Um, you may also see young people writing uh, during school hours or writing very, very late at night. And that's not typical. That's not a regular way for children to engage with transit. Um, so, so all of those are, are things that should raise the red flag and, and make you look a little more closely and consider um, reporting that. And the federal government reports more than 27 million people around the world endure horrific abuse that is human trafficking. The State Department has a list of questions you can ask. That is, if you have the opportunity to speak to them without jeopardizing their safety. Now, some of those questions include, can you leave your job if you wanted to? Can you come and go as you please? Have you been hurt or threatened if you try to leave? Has your family been threatened? Do you live with your employer? Where do you sleep and eat? Are you in debt to your employer? Do you have your passport or identification? Who has it? And of course, when it comes to reporting uh, human trafficking in general, uh, beyond the transit system or maybe on the transit system, there's that national human trafficking hotline, 888 373 7888. We always tell people, though, if there's an emergency, if there's an actual physical altercation happening, call 911 regardless of, of what's happening. So I say all that to say there's also organizations like yours, and obviously you have other resources and perhaps know of other ways that it should be reported. I mean, how can a victim seek help? Where can they go? Can they go to your website? Or if someone thinks that they know a victim, can they come to you as well? They certainly can call our 24-7 uh, hotline. Um, an advocate will pick that call up. And if it's an emergency, respond. We always uh, guarantee a response within 90 minutes being on site. We, we are not law enforcement. So I would say sure. um, 
often the calls we get from parents or, or a victim themselves will will schedule an appointment and meet with them in a safe location. Um, and if it is an emergency, if there is any danger involved, you must call 911 and then they connect. Um, certainly, if you witness a sudden emergency, um, someone being forced into a vi- vehicle once they get out of the off the bus or off the train, you know, that's something you'd want to report immediately. Um, but just if you are a regular rider and you see suspicious activity on certain routes or in certain locations, note that and report it to the National Human Trafficking Hotline or to Metro um, so that it can be investigated and you can do it anonymously. Um, Certainly don't attempt to rescue the victim yourself because no, that could put yeah. them at more danger. It could, it's certainly going to put you in danger. Really document what's happening. Right. You know, make note of a vehicle. With Metro, of course, all of our vehicles and platforms, uh, they have cameras all around okay. and they're always recording. Mm-hmm. Dozens and dozens of cameras on individual vehicles and platforms. When you put it all together, there's probably evidence already there. But it's important to know what time something happened, mm-hmm. where you were when you saw it. You know, sometimes you're reluctant to report because you think, gosh, maybe mm-hmm. I'm not seeing what I should see. You kind of start gaslighting yourself. Right. 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 But there's no crime in being wrong. But it's really important to know that once someone falls into this life, um, I think numbers are changing. But the latest hard stat that I have says that once you become a victim of trafficking, only 1% of those people make it Mm. out of that life. Um, And that's for many reasons we won't go in today. But it it could be a matter of life or death, your report. Uh, if an everyday citizen is listening to this and they really want to get involved, mm-hmm. uh, what other resources um, can they turn to or how can they get involved? How can they help? Yeah, well, there are numerous organizations, especially here in Houston, because this is such an issue here. But I would direct them to unboundnow.org. There are online on-demand trainings. You know, if you're a parent and you want to do that, or if you're a teacher or a nurse or any kind of medical professional, we have trainings that will give you a free CEU and uh, satisfy the licensure requirements to renew your license. Um, so, so those are really important resources for professionals. But just beyond that, teachers and parents, you guys can just, um, you know, do a simple online training anytime you want at that website. We do need volunteers. We like to take um, fresh baked cookies or snacks like that put together for um, the students. And and we really do like people to commit to go out with us. It, it takes a volunteer force to go along with our early intervention specialists to do um, that work. So those are some good opportunities. We sometimes will do outreaches or we also have these bags that we take with us on crisis response. You know, when that hotline rings and we're there on site, we take a survivor bag that sometimes includes just clothing or a warm blanket or, you know, fresh toiletries, all those things. And so just, um, organizations putting those together for us are very helpful. Um, and, and really, I do want to say, I hate to ask for a donation, but All of our programs, that survivor advocacy, like I said, it's very costly um, surviving all the, I mean, or providing all of the services that survivors require to get healthy and well. Um, It's it's a huge burden to us. And so we have two major fundraisers we do every year. We have a brunch in the fall. And here on February 23rd, we have uh, Sporting's Clay 
a sporting clays tournament uh, coming up. So that should be on our website as well. Go register, bring a team, come learn more about us or volunteer and help us put that on. We would love to have um, more people in the community helping us out. No, that's I'm great. I'm, I'm glad you brought it up. So no, no, don't feel bad about having to bring up fundraising because I know that's a huge part of it, too. I know it's, it can be overwhelming with um, how widespread human trafficking is. Uh, so Carrie Taylor, Unbound Now Houston, thank you again so much for joining us. Uh, is there anything that I didn't touch on in this conversation that you wish we had? Are there any final remarks you'd like to make? Um, everybody, everyone believes it couldn't happen to them they, or their child. Everyone believes um, it's not going on in their community. Unfortunately, um, it is going on in every community right under our noses. It's, it's not like you would see someone snatched, right? And it's not like you would notice. Um, they usually look just like your own children, students, sometimes they're still attending school while they're being trafficked, right? So it's that really specific thing that you note, all the things we discussed today, go back and listen again, re- listen to the podcast more than once, because it takes a moment for those things to set and for you to recognize it. But I would just say, don't ignore your gut. If you see something, like you said, say something, take some action. If it were your child, you would want someone else to do that, even if they risk being wrong. Thank you again so much, Carrie Taylor, for joining us. You're welcome. Thanks so much, Doug. I appreciate it. That wraps it up for this edition of The Next Stop. Thanks again to you, the listener, and to all of our Metro riders out there. Please stay alert, stay observant. You never know, you might save someone's life. As a reminder, Unbound now has that Houston 24-7 crisis response and referral line. Save it on your phone. That number is 34 6202-4299. Another resource is the National Human Trafficking Hotline. That's 888-373-7888. I'm Doug Deloney. If you'd like to check out more episodes and subscribe to the next stop, you can find all the links you need on ridemetro.org. As always, drive less and do more with Houston Metro. Houston Metro.